Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I am Evan Barnard here with Ira Work, sitting here on a pretty overcast day. I call it <laughs> here in Middle Tennessee. Gloomy. Gloomy? That's a good one. Yeah. It's kind of a Winnie the Pooh uh, blustery day. The uh, thought I would uh, this hour spend a little bit of time talking about some of the issues, or at least this segment, let me clarify. Um, you know, a lot of times we talk about stock picking, market timing, and track record investing or chasing performance. And for us, those are the three warning signs that you're gambling or speculating with your money. Now, someone that lives in that world would say, well, you know, I can pick the right stocks, whether it's a mutual fund manager, whether it's you managing your own investments or something like that, or, you know, well, it's the company I work for. And so I buy their stock because I know what's going on. Regardless of, of how it's happening, I just want to do a little bit of teaching around that and also give you some examples of why that is so challenging to effectively do over a long period of time. You know, and when we talk about stock picking not working, let me clarify that a little bit of that doesn't mean everyone that buys an individual stock loses money. That's, that's not the point we're making. What we're saying is you really have no idea where a particular stock is going. And so you're taking an inordinate amount of risk in order to bet big on that one or two or three, <laughs> or as uh, Jim Cramer says, I at least need five stocks in my portfolio to be well diversified. But no more than 10. But yeah, no more than 10. The, uh, but let me throw a couple of headlines out there just to give an example of what makes that so challenging and why it's not worth the effort. And as I read these, as we go through these, understand in this day and age, this is already old news. The fact that I'm even reading it to you on the show, it, you know, it was already out instantly when these announcements were made and, and affected stock prices. Uh, but here's, an, well, you know, uh, in the news segment that was just before uh, the start of this hour, talking about the door plug being blown out on the Alaska Airlines 737 and so forth, and they're, you know, they're back in the air. Well, before that happened, no one knew that owned Alaska Airlines or Spirit Aerospace that a door plug was going to blow out and cause, you know, five or 10% loss in value. But here's an interesting headline that will affect potentially, I should say, even people that don't invest within the sound of our voice. Southwest Airlines flight attendants authorize strike. TWU Local 556 says that more than 98% of its voting members approved the strike. And this is as of January 23rd at four in the afternoon. But they're, uh, you know, what they what the union wants or the uh, the flight attendants want, they're wanting on-call rotations, appropriate compensation for ground time, and improved commuter policies in the new contract. And my point is not to argue whether they have a valid case or not at all. Uh, as a frequent passenger <laughs> on Southwest Airlines, I love the service I get, you know, 
for the most part, they're reliable. They've had, they've had a few hiccups over the last couple of years, typically due to weather. But, you know, it's all of a sudden that kind of news affects the price of a stock. And is it going to affect their earnings? You know, are people going to seek different airlines? And then once they do that, I'm going to stick with Delta now because Southwest, you know, what's the ramifications to the earnings? Well, I don't know if you saw, there was an article earlier today that Southwest Airlines, it was it was the biggest airlines in the Nashville area. Uh-huh. And Southwest is the biggest carrier right. uh, in the Nashville area. Yeah. For 2023, they had over 20 million passengers. I'm sorry, 10 million passengers. Yeah. Right behind it, number two, was Delta with a little over 2 million passengers. Yeah, and so they're, was, they're Amer- the tallest hog at the trough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then it was American and then United and then a newer airline, Allegiant Air. Yeah. With like just over a million passengers. So if this strike does happen... Nashville can really be affected. Yeah. And, you know, and so the point is people have already been reacting to that news in boardrooms and in, you know, investment analysts, people that own the stock, even people, you know, you might not have been aware of that story at all. And you've already come to a conclusion on your own of either a, it doesn't matter to me at all because I don't fly or, you know, whatever. But, you know, a week ago, no one knew that. Now, they might have known they're in talks, you know, just like people are always betting on the interest rate when the Fed meets. You know, are they going to raise rates? Are they going to keep them the same? People were guessing on are they going to reach an agreement by some particular date, but now we actually know. And before we actually knew, all it was was a guess. And think of Boeing in that example that we were talking about earlier is – no one knew before the door blew off that a 737 was going to have another problem. And uh, we were talking about the American Dream Experience. There was a participant several years ago uh, that had a lot of Boeing stock. And they went through the two days, learned all about the academics and so forth, and just, you know, well, I believe in Boeing and I'm not going to do anything. And, and that's their right. But shortly after that, we had... 737 max problems and then we had covid and now you have some other 737 nine problems and boeing stock has dropped about 50 percent from when that event was held and so you know that's the challenge with stock picking is at some point there's going to be some news that totally wipes out any growth that you might have had uh it was interesting i was looking at apple of all things and that's, you know, a huge company. I bet everyone listening to this show, whether in a mutual fund or individually, has Apple stock. But it actually hasn't grown in five years. It dropped and it's come back, but it's really made no money. It's paid a dividend, but it's about the same place it was five years ago. And yet there's tons of stocks that have done much better. And the market, even in general, over that period has done much better. But... uh you know, just because it was a good bet at one point, and that was still that would still be stock picking. You don't want to ever do that. But just because it worked out doesn't mean that's something you want to stick with. Um, another fun piece of news that affected it, and I got to grab that. Sorry, is 
you know, we don't get too much, as I said, into pop culture or some of those kind of things. But Vince McMahon, who used to be the chairman of uh, WWE, that's what? Worldwide. Worldwide something, wrestling, wrestling or something like that, right? Worldwide uh, entertainment. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I and, watch but it that's every mostly, Friday night. That's mostly wrestling, though, right? Or is it a bunch of, bunch of different stuff? Well, it depends yeah. on your okay. definition of wrestling. Well, okay. If you go Any- and sort of getting hit in the back <laughs> with a chair wrestling, yeah, it's wrestling. That's right. I, I quit watching in the days of Kerry Von Erich and My grandmother Hulk was a Hogan. very big wrestling fan. <laughs> uh, anyway, Vince McMahon resigns from TKO after sex trafficking claims. I'm making no allegations on whether he did or didn't and all of that kind of stuff, but... You know, it sounded like there was some non-disclosure agreement. He reneged, so he maybe thought something had happened enough that it was worth agreeing to that. But all of that was confidential until it, wasn't. it became public. And now all of a sudden there's changes in, in the company hold, you know, the holdings. So, you know, you just never know what news story is lurking out there to blow up all of the even maybe valid research you did but you just don't know the future to know what's going to affect a stock price. Well, and, and that's why, like, during that exercise that we do in the American Dream Experience called Abject Absurdity, you know, we're talking about the information even that we get in our research of a company. And we don't research individual companies. So when I say that, I'm not telling you that we're doing that. But whether it's a mutual fund manager or whether it's you as yourself or whoever it might be, the information that you get is fuzzy at best. Um, Everybody thought that this small little company um, was a really, really great company called Enron. Yeah. You know, until people found out that the books were being cooked by the accountants doing the audits. And as it turned out, there was actually no there there. So here's a great example of a headline. Billionaire Bond King questions the unemployment data Mm. and says it's hard to believe. So we're hearing this unemployment has gone down, it's going down, it's going down. And this was actually reported on Fox News. It says, amid a seemingly growing list of major company layoffs in 2024, one billionaire bond fund manager is raising questions over some of the data. Is that Bill Gross or who? Uh, I'm just curious. That is, uh, what's his name? Or El Arian? Jeffrey Glundock. Oh, uh-huh. Glundock. Uh-huh. During an interview on Making Money with Charles Payne, double-line capitalist CEO Jeffrey Glundock known as the Bond King, pointed out state unemployment numbers he described as hard to believe. Amazingly, 88% of the states, and I think they have D.C. in there, so it's 70, 51% of them, 88% are reporting rising unemployment over the last six months. <laughs> and I'm having a very hard time squaring this Those circle. other 12% of the states are just crushing it, man. Well, no, but you're seeing reports that unemployment is going down, but what he's saying is 88% of the states are saying unemployment's going up. It's right. rising unemployment. So which one is it? So you see, you can see two different headlines yeah. for the same information mm-hmm. at the same moment that are completely opposite each other. Right. 
And I remember back in the early 80s when I started in the business, there was one newspaper that said inflation was going up and another newspaper said inflation was coming down. Two headlines, two different newspapers, completely opposite the same day. So the information in trying to pick these individual stocks is fuzzy at best. Go ahead. Yeah. The, uh, you know, it's, and that's what we think we know. You know, there's kind of two categories of information if you're evaluating a stock in this case. There's, there's information you know. And if you think about all of the available information out there for any particular stock, and, you know, you have, they have their earnings, they have their assets, you know, what's the profitability, who's the president, who's the CFO, uh, you know, they've reported their sales and revenue and quarterly earnings and all of that. And there may be news stories out there about what they're doing, but there's research that they're doing that's not public. And then if you're thinking about a tech company, what are their competitors doing in their research, you know, what product may be coming out in three months that totally puts one company out of business, you know, uh, Blockbuster, <laughs> what's what's the next Netflix to take Netflix out, you know, those kind of things. But that's what's theoretically knowable. And as you said, Ira, that's not necessarily reliable. It could be smoke and mirrors. And if you think about that, let's say you research eight hours a day. For a month, what information do you have that everybody else doesn't already have? Zero. Mm -hmm. And any new information is reflected into the stock price almost immediately. And so it really is a fool's errand to try to find this nugget that no one else sees. And that's also a miracle because the market just figures it out. They come to a, a fair price of the stock. The buyers and sellers agree that XYZ company is worth $100 a share. And if it that'll stay $100 a share till someone thinks their earnings are going to change for whatever whatever reason. And, you know, you're just not going to get ahead of all of the analysts and all of the market participants, whether they're, you know, mutual fund managers, do-it-yourselfers, you know, pension committees. They all have the same information. And unless you have a piece of information that no one has – which we call insider trading, you just have no advantage. What you have is a story and a hope that you're right, uh, you know, and that's going to be that. But that's on the data side. And then you still have the n information that nobody can know, not the analysts, not us, not someone that's just doing their own research. We don't know if someone cheated on their spouse and they're getting ready to get fired from the company. We don't know... Uh, that there's a health issue and there's, you know, somebody's, uh, well, in the news recently. Now, this is not a publicly traded company, but the uh, Secretary of Defense, mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden it comes out, well, he was in the hospital, you know, getting treated for cancer. Well, that, you know, that didn't move the market from that standpoint, but that could have easily been a CEO of some corporation. And you're like, hey, that could change the direction of the company. It could be something as simple. Uh, I was reading an article this morning that um, Bezos's ex—I forget her name. I apologize, Mrs. X Bezos. The uh, yeah, Miss, <laughs> Mrs. Jeff, um, former Mrs. Jeff, uh, was unloading ten billion dollars of her Amazon stock, 
And it could be because she's given it away, you know, who knows what. But that wasn't news until we read it. You know, no one knew what she's going to sell this, you know, this month of her Amazon holdings and those kind of things. And so you just, there is too much information out there. And that is on every stock. Uh, you know, we, we preach diversification across several markets in a portfolio. But just think of the S&P 500 just on its own. How many unknown stories exist with all of the employees, execs, you know, suppliers of just those 500 companies that employ, you know, tens of millions of people? That's no one can factor that. Uh, when AI first, not first came out, but, you know, GPS is AI. But when ChatGPT kind of made its debut last year and, you know, hit the news, hit the ground running very quickly, investment people were typing in, you know, what are the best stocks to buy? What's the best, you know, portfolio? And ChatGPT says, there's too many factors. You can't do that. <laughs> and and I was one of those people as well. I freely concede uh, just to see. And they're like, yeah, you can't do it. And so uh, for once, that was a good answer as far as the industry goes. But, um, I, you know, we were talking earlier about purpose and about uh, the destructive cycle of wealth and your relationship to money. And, you know, money can accomplish a lot of things. Why would somebody want to take the risk of putting 20, 30, 40% of their holdings in a single stock that could get wiped out, you know, could drop 60%, 70%, GE dropped 80% back in the day in a very short period of time, Procter & Gamble. No company is too big to fail. Mm -hmm. The uh, Any closing thoughts on just the stock picking side or some extra nuggets on that, Ira? Well, I'm, I'm just wondering that article that you had on Southwest, when did, you, when did that come out? Uh, 23rd. Okay. 23rd, 24th. Because I, was, I just looked up the price of Southwest Airlines, and on the 25th, which was Thursday, they actually had an earnings call, and their earnings per share of $0.37 cents actually beat the street expectations. There you go. So it outperformed what all the analysts were saying was going to happen. Yet yesterday, they actually closed down 1%. Yeah. Interesting. So, you don't even know which way the news is going right. to happen. Right. And I remember when I was training with uh, Sheriff Lehman Brothers, uh, you know, the, uh, one of the general rules of thumb was you want to sell on good news because you're going to be bad after that. Right. And you want to buy on bad news. <laughs> you know, so I, it took me a few years to learn that, you know, tr you know, even though I had all these analysts at Shears and Lehman Brothers, I was not able and none of the, my colleagues were able to pick the stocks that went up consistently yeah. and predictably over and over again. Yeah. And what was more interesting than that was when I would recommend a stock that went up, the investor would take all the credit for buying it. <laughs> and when I recommended a stock that didn't work out quite the way we thought it would work out, I got blamed for recommending Absolutely. it. We work with humans, right? <laughs> so I never got the credit, but yeah. I did get the blame. Yeah. the you know? Uh, you know, and if you think it's just you, as we close this one out, if you think it's just you, 92% of mutual fund managers 
don't beat their own benchmarks. And I was just going to add that. Yeah. That even the mutual funds that had <laughs> these great track records, you know, that's when the advisors roll them out. That's when ads get put on television. That's when the talking heads of the mutual funds go on the, the radio shows and television shows. And then after that, that they tend to drop. Yep. Just uh, go enjoy your family. <laughs> go go enjoy uh, the outside, but don't w don't waste your life doing a bunch of research, doing some stock picking. Well, find your purpose. Yeah. And then make sure that your investments are actually invested to fulfill on your purpose. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything that we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15 minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Welcome back to the Investor Coaching Show. We don't often see a lot of changes in the retirement plan world. At least I don't. Usually they come from the government. You know, back in the day, they first had IRAs and then they had Roth IRAs and they, you know, created 401ks and so forth. Um, but this was an interesting article. IBM is changing how they're structuring their retirement plan. And so uh, they've reimagined how they will fund employees' retirement accounts. They're actually going to be stopping their 401k match at the start of this year. And now they're going to offer instead a plan that comes with a guaranteed rate of return. So the kind of the question in the news is, are other large companies going to start jumping on that trend? And we'll, you know, we'll just have to see. But basically, they're going to get rid of their match and instead kind of add it's a, technically it's a cash balance plan the easiest way to think of it is kind of a scaled down pension plan instead of offering a match to their 401k employee uh to their employees and it's interesting as we as you went through the article it was talking about who's going to you know who's going to be helped by this and so forth and you know people won't have to deal with some of the volatility. At least they'll have a guaranteed portion on their retirement accounts. And that's not a bad thing as far as that goes. You know, I'm frankly all for a, a person having an actual pension to supplement their retirement. But what happens is the youngest employees that typically would have a higher risk profile and have, you know, 10, 15, 20 years if they stayed there that long, uh, to benefit from the risk of having more stock in their portfolio from a match going in, now are going to get penalized for that because they're going to be in a fixed rate instrument. So that just, you know, won't outperform equities over a long period of time. But here's how this differs from a pension, which could benefit younger people. It's almost like the military's plan 
the the TSP and their blended retirement is because it's a cash balance and not a pension plan, someone doesn't have to work for the company 16 years, 18 years to get some of that benefit. So they're actually putting money in the account for the employee. And if they change jobs, you know, four or five years down the road, they can take that bucket with them and roll it into an IRA or something like that. So it's it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. Um, all of the, at least reporting on this, says IBM switched this program because it's going to benefit their profitability. And, you know, as Paul talks about oftentimes on the show, you know, companies don't just sit around and let the economy change and they don't adjust to it. They're going to do what they can to regain profitability or increase profitability. I think one of the reasons why they might be doing that, though, is not just the profitability for themselves. The fact, I think part of it has to do with they've looked at the participation of all the younger people in the plan, in the 401k plan. Yeah. And the percentages with the discriminatory testing, which, you know, has to be done every year unless they do a safe harbor 401k plan, which we won't get into that. But a lot of times the highly compensated employees can't even max out their plan personally with the salary deferral because the what's called rank and file employees are not putting away enough money. So this might be just another way of them setting up a plan where the highly more highly compensated employees are going to benefit from, I could think, be. a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, could be. Uh, Again, well, I tend to be a little skeptical about yeah. that. <laughs> well, the, the last three or four years have created skeptics of many of us in various areas of our lives, for sure. <clears throat> you know, so we'll just see if that becomes a trend, but that was kind of an interesting thing that caught my eye of, you know, we don't typically see some, you know, Fortune 500 company totally changing the game. Bringing this a little bit uh, more on an individual side, uh, ran across an article in Market Watch. And just to touch on it, just to spend a little bit of time on some technical side of financial planning, uh, the title was My Wife of 65 Years Died and My IRA Mistake Resulted in Double the RMD. And this was uh, kind of in a almost like a Dear Abby column uh, called Fix My Portfolio. But a reader wants to he- wants help to see if he can reverse the way the account is set up so that he can take a smaller RMD. And what happened, uh, his wife passed away in 2022. They were married for 65 years. So when I give you a couple of numbers, I'm just going to assume that they were married when they were 20. And so I'm going to assume this guy's 85 when he writes the letter. He asked his bank to have her IRA money transferred to him as her sole beneficiary, he was the sole beneficiary on the account and the surviving spouse. A bank representative of their IRA department told him which form to complete and how to fill it out. They did take her required distribution for 2022, you know, since she had passed, and the balance was then put into the new account with the ownership description, inherited IRA. And he's the surviving spouse, and he was 85. Time passed, and he took the RMD from his account and her account. To his surprise, the RMD from the inherited IRA was roughly double Mm -hmm. the amount that he had to take from his own. 
although the amounts in both accounts were approximately the same. <clears throat> and so, you know, we, we see this a lot. If the dollars had been put into his account, which is one of his options as the surviving spouse, as the sole beneficiary, he could have just put it into his own IRA. And at the age of 85, his factor for calculating the RMD is 16, meaning you just divide his year in balance in that case by 16. And that's the amount that has to come out. Well, where does the 16 come from? It comes from an IRS table called the uniform table. And it assumes that he is married to someone 10 years younger than him. And frankly, if he had passed away, the same table assumes that the wife is married to someone 10 years younger than her. So basically, there's two life expectancies that figure in to that calculation on, on the uh, IRA, even if you're a widow. When they put it into the inherited IRA, all of a sudden, it's a different table and that divisor was 8.1, almost exactly two times, mm. has to come out from her account than his. You know, Now, he doesn't have to spend it, but it does mean he's going to be paying taxes a lot sooner than he thought. And the point is, particularly since the SECURE Act 2.0, inherited IRAs have become a real challenge for both practitioners and inheritors and clients alike, you really have to walk through these things. And so it is a bell that you can't unring. That is not a problem that can be fixed. A lot of times, if you deposited too much, those kind of things, we can fix those kinds of issues and you might even pay a small tax penalty. This is just a bell that once it's rung, you can't put, you know, you can't unring that thing. So be aware of any kind of inherited IRAs and, uh, make sure that they're designated correctly. And if you get to the point where you are going to be an inheritor before any money moves, make sure you reach out to someone and get some great advice on that. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.